Chapter Thirty Three of One of My Sons by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Three, in which we can pardon Mister Grice his unfortunate illness. You didn't expect that. I thought I would surprise you, sir. Oh, I know what you want to say. Sweetwater eagerly continued. You miss the period and capital H which would show he to be the beginning of a proper name. But, sir, Mr. Gillespie would not have been the failing man he was, if by this time he could think of capitals, much less periods. He was not even able to complete the word, though he evidently failed to realize this. None of my sons, Hewson, is what was in his mind. You may take my word for that. And now— he triumphantly concluded, after a short but satisfied contemplation of my face. You can see why this dying man should expend his last energies in ensuring the safe delivery of these words to the one person who knew his former dreadful suspicions. Shrinking as any father might from letting his sons know to what a fearful extent he had misjudged them, and dreading, as he doubtless had good reason to, some interference on the part of Hewson, if he attempted to call any one in the house to his aid. He sent his little grandchild into the street. But I know we are dealing with mere possibilities as yet, sir, but these possibilities are much more credible than the surmises, in which we have hitherto indulged. I feel as if free air had entered my lungs for the first time since the inquest and if I can refrain from yielding too much to the intoxication of it. But, I again repeated, determined to have my way out before he had gone too far. What motive can you ascribe to this poor old servant for a death which robbed him of a master he had served devotedly for years? Motive be blank, cried Sweetwater in some heat. But with his usual good nature, he instantly begged my pardon, and his next words were uttered with more restraint. Facts first, motives afterwards. What motive have we been able to find for the committal of this deed by any one of his sons? Yet each and all of them have been suspected and almost arraigned. Still, he concluded, if you want a motive, search for it here. And he drew from his pocket a second folded paper, which he opened out before my eyes. It was a copy of Mr. Gillespie's will. Ah! I cried in dim perception of what he meant. A thousand dollars, explained Sweetwater. Not much in your eyes, but quite a fortune in his. And for so paltry a legacy, you think that this man— Sweetwater's finger went to his lips. Excuse me, he said, but have we not better put back this typewriter on the shelf from which we took it? If I do not mistake, it will figure largely in the trial which I plainly see approaching. I nodded, recognizing the wisdom of the admonition thus given, and together we placed the typewriter back in the closet. Then he turned towards me with a new light in his small gray eye. And now, sir, he cried, let me request you to stand back a trifle. I am going to finish this business. Opening the door with a sudden jerk, he plunged into the hall. A shadow was just disappearing from the opposite doorway. With a shout to me to light up, he leaped across the hall into the dining room. The next minute I heard a cry, then a low gurgle, 
Then the match I had hastily struck flared up, and I beheld the detective holding down the butler and looking eagerly towards me for the expected light. The man in the hall was by this time at my side, and between us we soon had three jets lit, illuminating two white faces, Sweetwater's pale with triumph, Hewson's blue-white from fear. Murderer! Poisoner of your benefactor and friend, I have you at last, cried the struggling detective, watching how each terrible word he hurled blanched to a greater and greater degree the face he held pressed back for our inspection. You could see without faltering your master's sons, the boys you have dandled on your knee, fall one after the other under the shadow of public suspicion. Now we will see if you can show as much heroism on your own account. You are the man who drugged Mr. Gillespie's wine, and if the officer here will take you in charge for an hour or so, I will go down and procure a warrant for your arrest. The attack was so sudden, and Sweetwater's manner one of such complete conviction, that the old man succumbed it without a struggle. Mercy, he moaned. I was old, tired of work. A little home, a little freedom in my old age. Uh, uh. I fled from the room. It seemed as if the walls must cave in upon us. For this, for this. The sight of a half-dozen frightened faces in the hall restored my self-possession. The servants had come up from below and stood crowding and jostling each other, just as they had done three weeks before. At the sight of Hewson's cowering figure, they began to moan and cry. "'Be quiet there,' exhorted Sweetwater, advancing upon them with the courage born of his triumphant success. "'The old man, whom you have doubtless thought the best-hearted and most reliable of you all, has just confessed to the crime, which has desolated this house, and all but ruined the three young gentlemen, your masters.' Cry away if you want to, but cry quietly and without giving the least alarm, for the good news has not gone upstairs yet, and this gentleman, who was the first to announce Mr. Gillespie's death to his sons, naturally would like the satisfaction of telling them that his murderer has been found. I have no doubt that Mr. George and his brother are to be found above. They be, sir, they be, spoke up a voice. Sweetwater, whose divination of my wishes struck me as remarkable, stepped aside at this and waited for me to pass him, followed me to the floor above with a step so light he seemed to be buoyed up by wings. As on a formal, memorable occasion, I stopped at George's door first. The knock I gave was followed by a rather surly invitation to enter. Excusing his ungraciousness in consideration of the fact that his visitors of late had not been entirely those of his own choice, and consequently far from welcome, I pushed open the door without any other exhibition of feeling than an apologetic smile. A scene of disorder confronted me, the disorder of an idle man who feels that with the withdrawal of all women from the house he had lost all incentive to neatness, perhaps to decency. In its midst, and lolling on a table over which lay spread some cards he was pushing about with idle fingers, sat George, much the worse for liquor, and by just that much short of being the handsome man he was intended to be by nature. At sight of me he rose, and propping himself forward on the table, looked the inquiry he was probably unable to formulate in words. 
I answered as if he had spoken. "'You must pardon my intrusion, Mr. Gillespie. I have come to bring you very good news.' "'What news?' "'News of your brother's speedy release. News of your father's murderer, who, though an intimate of this house, does not bear the name of Gillespie. It is your butler, Hewson.' With a shout he threw out his hands, and then sank panting and with drooped head into the chair mercifully at hand to receive him. "'I have always sworn that Leighton was innocent,' he cried out with unexpected vehemence. "'In public and private, declared that he could no more have done that thing.' Sweetwater slipped from the room, and I quietly followed, shutting the door softly behind me. We went directly above— and this time found the room we wished to visit open. As the face of its natural occupant could be plainly seen from where we stood, we gratified our curiosity by a momentary contemplation of it. Like his brother, Alfred Gillespie was sitting at a table, but he was neither flushed with wine nor engaged in idle reverie. On the contrary, he was very busy writing letters. But he was not satisfied with his work. He looked restless and disturbed and in the moment or two we stood there, watching him, tore up the wretched scrawls he had just indicted, with a groan indicative not only of impatience, but deep, almost heart-rending anguish. On his pale brow, and in his attenuated frame, few signs remained of the once luxurious Alfred, and when, after a second attempt at expressing himself, he made a dash at the unfinished letter, and crumpling it to nothing in his hand, threw it into the fire, I turned to Sweetwater and whispered, "'Cut this misery short.' The young detective nodded, and with a clearing of his throat, meant, I am sure, as a warning, he advanced and entered the room, into which I rapidly followed him. Without pausing for any greeting from the astonished Alfred, he at once presented me in the following manner. "'Mr. Gillespie, will you allow me the honor of presenting Mr. Uthwaite, who has come to offer you his hearty congratulations?' "'Congratulations! I don't know whether I was more moved by the sarcasm or the despair expressed in this repetition of the word, which must have fallen with strange effect on Alfred Gillespie's ear. For what, may I ask? For the speedy lifting of the cloud which has darkened this house.' for the free and honorable return of your brother from his present place of detention, and the incarceration in his stead of the old man, Hewson, who has just confessed to the crime of having poisoned your father. Hewson! Old Hewson! Alfred rose with a wild laugh that was not unlike a curse. You are playing with me. You are— No, I interposed with a decision he could not but recognize. Far from it, Mr. Gillespie. What the detective says is true. Hewson acknowledges the whole thing. He wanted a little home, knew that a legacy awaited him at your father's death, and wished to hasten his enjoyment of it. Your father recognized him as his poisoner when too late. He tried to communicate the fact to Miss Meredith in the five words, None of my sons, Hewson. But his strength failed him, and he only succeeded in impressing on the paper the unfinished words, one of my sons, he. The detective will explain. Ah, was his troubled response, as he sank back into the seat from which he had risen. 
Then, as he met our eyes fixed sympathetically upon him, he dropped his head upon his arms, crying brokenly, Don't look at me, don't look at me, all this misery and shame, and it was Hewson? Oh, hope, hope! We left him. It was all we could do. As we stepped down together in the lower hall, Sweetwater remarked to me, with one of his rare smiles, "'If you know of any one to whom this unexpected clearing of the Gillespie name will be especially gratifying, you are at liberty now to make the good news known. I'm off for police headquarters, there to begin those proceedings which will release Leighton Gillespie in time to meet the body of his wife at Communipaw. End of chapter 33